we talk about resurrection, when we talk about new life and, and joy and hope. Um, but so often, I, I do the same thing in Lent that I do during Advent. I want to skip ahead to the big event. You know, in, in Advent, I want to skip ahead to Christmas. I'm, I'm the one who wants to open the presents early. I do the same thing with Easter. It's, it's hard for me to sit there in, in a time of denial, in a time of reflection, in a time of, of acknowledging all the ways that I, that I fall short and all of, all of the limitations that I have. Because so much, I, I want to get ahead to the resurrection. I want to get ahead to the, the forgiveness. And I, I love, I love Easter. Um, I, I think that's maybe true of all of us, that we have trouble sitting in that in-between. Uh, one of my professors, or a theology professor, said something that, that struck me because it was, it was odd and it was something I never really heard before. He said for him, the day that was really making an impact, the day that really had, had, had been kind of profound for him the last years uh, was Holy Saturday. I've never been to a church that celebrated Saturday. I've never, I've never heard anyone talk about Saturday on Holy Week. And he just kind of left it there. And it's, it's one of those things professors do where they, they say something and they just leave it with you. And then it drives you crazy for the next week. And, and so for a week or so, I'm, I'm just, why Saturday? What, what's, what happened on Saturday? You know, honestly, nothing happened on Saturday. The disciples gathered back together and they, they sat together with questions. There are, no, there are no answers on Saturday. There's no resurrection yet. They, they haven't seen what it is that, that's changed everything for them. What they'd seen on Saturday was that they'd seen everything that they've hoped for, everything that they've been working for, everything that they've dreamed about crucified. And Jesus wasn't the first leader to rise up in Israel and to get followers and, and to have the Roman Empire, you know, execute him. It happened before and, and then the followers scattered and everything was over. And it happened after Jesus. So the disciples were in a, they were in a state where, you know, everything that they'd been pinning their hopes and dreams on is gone. And, and what do you do during that time? I think maybe for us, Lent is a little bit like that Holy Saturday. I think we, we live on that Saturday. We live in a world where we've seen things that are broken, and things that, that hurt. And, and we, we look forward to the resurrection. We look forward to something else. But too often we jump right to the answers and we don't sit with the questions. Uh, this, this Lent... I think one of the things that I'm going to try and do, and it's, it's going to be hard, I think, for the teacher and me, is to not give you answers. This Lent, I, I want to invite us to sit with the questions and to wrestle with, with the things that we struggle with. You know, it, it's too easy for us to know everything that we have to say. And it's too hard for us to sit in that moment, that, that holy Saturday when, when everything is... It's just a big question mark. Especially this Lent. And, and I feel awful for the worship leaders because I've, I've told them that, that I'd like to focus on, on kind of death through Lent. Because there is no Easter, there is no resurrection without the Good Friday, without the death. 
And to be honest, it's hard for us to find songs that match up with that. And they've, <laughs> they've struggled and they've wrestled with that and they've done a, a phenomenal job, but it's, we don't, we don't today have language that fits <laughs> with, with sitting in the question, with sitting in that moment. It's hard to find a song that doesn't have that resolution to it at the end. Today we're going to be talking about uh, specifically physical death. And because it is hard to find that language, especially in our society, um, we're going to be going through different psalms this season of Lent. The psalms are, the psalms are a book of songs where people cry out to God whatever they're feeling. And, and it's so often there's no filter on it. You know, sometimes when I talk to God, I, I put a filter on there like he can't handle what I'm really feeling. You know, the Psalms are, are pretty honest about that. Our, our Psalm for today is Psalm 90. And this is a prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. He, Moses starts out by telling God about his eternity. You know, the fact that, that before the tectonic plates crashed together and, and the mountains sprang up, before the stars were flung into space, before, before the rivers started to flow to the ocean, God was there. All the things that we think about as permanent as e and as eternal, God was there when those started. God was the, the force creating that. And then Moses looks at himself. You turn men back to dust, saying, Return to dust, O sons of men. For a thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by, or like a watch in the night. You sweep men away in the sleep of death. They're like the new grass of the morning, though in the morning it springs up new, by evening it's dry and withered. We are consumed by your anger and terrified by your indignation. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. All our days pass away under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. The length of our days is 70 years or 80 if we have the strength. But their span is but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away. Who knows the power of your anger, for your wrath is as great as the fear that is due you. Teach us to number our days aright, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Relent, O Lord, how long will it be? Have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love, that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, for as many years as we have seen trouble. May your deeds be shown to your servants, your splendor to their children. May the favor of the Lord our God rest upon us, Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. A lot of times when we talk about psalms, we skip to the, the happy ones. You know, we, we talk about the parts that, that make nice bookmarks, and, and we've, we write, you know, satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love, that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. What happens when we take those verses out of context is we realize that when Moses is saying that, He's crying that out because he doesn't have that now. He's crying that out because that's, that's something that, that he wants, that, that, that he just doesn't experience. There are two things that really stand out for me about this psalm uh, for us to reflect on today. And the first is the fact that this is written by Moses. 
This is the only psalm that actually is, is listed and specifically given to him. This is the only one we, we have, you know, that inclination that, that he wrote. And as you read through it, it's, it's interesting because if I think about Moses' life, I mean, Moses lived kind of a pretty epic life. I think there's, there's very little that you could say or hope to do in the span of your life that, that Moses didn't at some point or another live. He spent the, the first third of his life as, as, as a ruler in Egypt. I mean, there, there is nothing that would have been denied to him at that point. To be, to be a member of Pharaoh's household in Egypt is the high life. It's, it's not like his brothers and sisters who were slaves. Moses was denied nothing. Moses had that, that success, that, that plenty that, that so many people seek after in life. He spent the next phase of his life falling in love and, and raising a family and tending sheep for his father-in-law. He spent the last third as, as the servant of God leading the people of Israel out of Egypt and across the Red Sea and, and through the wilderness. Moses saw God do things in his lifetime that we barely have special effects to depict that now. Moses spent 40 days and 40 nights up on the mountain in a cloud of smoke speaking directly to God. And yet he gets to the end of his days and he's looking back on things and he's saying, you know, our years are 70 or, or maybe 80 if we have the strength. I think it was 120 for Moses, which is better than you know, statistically any of us here are going to make it to. At the end of that 120 years, looking back on everything that he'd experienced, he saw just how fleeting it was. He talks about returning to dust. He talks about the fact that, that it's just 70 or 80 years. It's, it's like grass that grows up and it's, it's gone tomorrow. It's, it's fleeting. Because the thing is, no matter when death finds us, it seems like it's always too soon. And that's one of the things that's hard for us. It doesn't matter if it's, if it's the six-week-old child who, who dies in his parents' arms or if it's losing your spouse after 60 years together. It always feels like there could have been more time. It always feels like they could have done a little bit more or like you could have said something else to them. It always feels like it's too soon. And we have that problem, and Moses had it too, that, that time seems to be ticking away, working against us. I think that's one of the reasons why we struggle so much with death is because we, we see that there's, there's an end to this earthly life. And that's hard for us because there's so much that we want to do and so much we want to say. Moses is getting down toward the end and he's been wandering in the desert for 40 years and, and everything that they've been, everything that they've been doing in the last 40 years has been building up for this moment. All the plagues in Egypt, all the crossing the Red Sea, all the, the time on Mount Sinai, all the raising up a new generation that, that's actually going to follow God into the promised land has all been about crossing that river Jordan and going into the land that God has been promising them. And Moses knows he's not going to get to see it because his time is running out. And I think he's, he's hurting by that. He's, he's bothered. You know, at the end, he ends with establish the work of our hands. Let everything that we've done here mean something, God. 
Let this actually have a, a point. Let my life not be just, just something that's swept away, but let this be something that will actually stick around. Let this make a difference. You know, as I, as I sit here thinking about that, if I knew, if I knew how much time I had left, if I, if I had a day, if I had a week, what would I spend that doing? You know, you'd, you'd spend it trying to, to do all the things with your loved ones that you, that you want to do in the future. You'd, you'd spend it trying to say all the things that you, that you need to say. You'd maybe spend it trying to, to finish those things that, that you feel might make your life worthwhile. But in, in the end, there's, there's just not enough time. There's just not enough time for us. And I think that's, that's hard, and we, we struggle with that. And it's, it's okay to be honest with the fact that that bothers us as people. The other thing in here that, that captures me, and it's not, it's not apparent right away as you read through it in, in the, the English translation, is when he's saying, you turn men back to dust, saying, return to dust, O sons of men. When he sends us back to dust, it's not... It's not the word that's used in other passages where they talk about uh, the, the word Adam that means like earth, you know, for you're made out of this. It's not just a slow, peaceful decomposition and returning to the, the matter that you're created. That's not what Moses says here. He doesn't use the word afar, which is dust like, you know, you dust your ceiling fans or you dust your bookcase. He uses the word daka. And daka is dust that you form by pulverizing something. When he's saying we return to dust, what he's really saying is we're, we're crushed down, we're beaten, we're broken apart. He's using a word that, that's not natural. This isn't something that just happens to us, that there's a force that does this to us. This is the opposite of creation. This is the opposite of where we've been put together and, and knit together. It's funny to me that death feels unnatural to us. Uh, th think about it this way. The, the Harlem Globetrotters are the most successful professional sports franchise in the world. They've won more games than anyone else, and their, their winning percentage is, is far and away better than any other team out there. If you play the Harlem Globetrotters, you have a 1.6% chance of winning. You have a 1.6% chance of beating the Globetrotters. You have a 0.02% chance of getting struck by lightning sometime in your life. You have a 0.001 chance of dating a supermodel sometime in your life. <laughs> so there's a chance. <laughs> if you think about just just different averages that people have used for, for how many people have, have lived from, from creation through today, and you think about people that have actually beaten death. And I'm not talking like, you know, uh, I was on the table and I was, I was gone and then I came back. I'm not talking about Lazarus who was in the grave for four days and came back because he still died again. Like he may have gotten overtime, but, but death beat him. I'm talking people that are taken up into heaven, or I'm talking Jesus who who rose from the dead and beat death, if we think about that number compared to the number of people who have ever lived 
I think a generous statement is that your odds of beating death are point zero 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 five percent. In fact, it's, it's not quite, I taught math, it's not quite, but it's almost a one-to-one -one correlation. If you are born, you will die. That's, that's how it works. Why does death feel unnatural to us then? Why doesn't this feel right when it happens? If it's that common, if it's that likely that death is coming for us, if we know that that's, that's in store for us, why does death feel so wrong? Why does it feel so unnatural? Why does it feel like it's, it's not just a part of life, like it's being broken down, pulverized, crushed, unmade? Why is death something that, that we rebel against, that we cry out against? Uh, I don't have any answers this week. This week I've only got questions. I've spent a lot of time in the last few weeks thinking about this and, and getting ready for this, and I've, I've probably been really depressing for Sarah. Um, I've, I've sat in my office listening to Dust in the Wind over and over again, and <laughs> it's true. Uh, I keep coming back, I, I keep coming back to the fact that, that this is something that, that we cry out against death and we feel we feel like we we need to keep that inside ourselves sometimes we feel like it's it's not the christian thing to do or it's not the the right thing to do for us to be upset about this 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 state that we're in but i think it's far more honest for us to admit that we feel the brokenness of our race we feel that this is not the way that it's supposed to be I mean, I think it's okay. It's okay for us to, I don't know, I, I kept reading old poetry and, and Dylan Thomas, you know, rage, rage against the dying of the light. I think it's okay for us to rage against death. I think it's okay for us to, to not, not feel like we have to accept the way that the world is today. I think it's okay for us to cry out to God in the midst of that. You know, not that we can beat death. We, we try and do that and that... <laughs> You've heard the odds. I mean, you're, you're not going to beat death. It's okay for us to bring before God the fact that this, this, feels, this feels wrong for us. We talked about some of the days that they have at the, at the end of Lent, you know, in, in Holy Week. There are a couple days that they celebrate at the beginning of Lent. Uh, the first one is called Fat Tuesday. It's a good name. Fat Tuesday is the day right before Lent starts when, when before you start denying yourself, you go out and you, you overindulge. You chase after all those things that, that feel like they bring life. You know, but in the end, they're, ju they're just empty. If, if you translate Fat Tuesday, you, you get Mardi Gras. That's what Mardi Gras is. It's, it's the day before Ash Wednesday when people go out and they they look for all of those things that, that they're going to be denying themselves, all those things that they can't have. And, and they, they look for life, and I, I think so often they look for it in all the wrong places. 
we live in a Mardi Gras world. We live in a world that, that's looking for life and, and almost denying the fact that we're mortal, denying the fact that, that we have just a set time. And I, I, think, I think when we live that way, we kind of deceive ourselves. I think we lose the fact that, that that's, not, that's not who we are. We're not that, that Mardi Gras paper mache mask life. That, that's empty, it's hollow. I think if we're, going, if we're going to be a people who are preparing ourselves for Easter and preparing ourselves for resurrection, we need to spend some time thinking about the other holiday at the beginning and, and thinking about Ash Wednesday. Ash Wednesday is a day that the Christian church has, has celebrated um, for ages, and it's, it's a service that reminds us of our limitations. It's a, it's a time that shows us uh, that we're mortal, and it reminds us that, that in spite of the Mardi Gras world that, that denies that so often, you know, that, that we know, we know that, that we're finite. We know that we're not God. We know that we're not going to live forever. And we know that we exist right now in a fallen and a broken world. We remember that, that we're dust and that we're going to return to dust. A week and a half ago, uh, on Ash Wednesday, I went to a service that, that, that a neighboring church has over the noon hour. And you go there, and there's, there's something very sobering and very real about, about a physical reminder that tells you that you only have a certain amount of time, that, that echoes what Moses has said in the psalm, that you, know, you spring up in the morning, but, but you wither away by the evening. And there's something, uh, there's something very real and very, I almost want to say comforting in acknowledging that and, and being truthful about that with myself. There's something in, in looking around the room and seeing people in the prime of life with, a, with a, a physical reminder of their mortality. You know, to realize that, that this isn't all there is. To realize that, that for now, we acknowledge the brokenness of our world. We, we acknowledge that for us, death is something unnatural. It's not something we were created and made for. And you look around the room and you see, uh, you see grandparents and you see people in retirement uh, who are marked that way. And you see kids, you know, even, even the youngest, marked with a reminder that they only have a certain amount of time. Know, marked with a reminder that, that they too are dust. And, and at some point, uh, unless Jesus comes back first, they're going to return to that dust. For us this morning, um, we're going to have, in a little bit, the, the worship band come up and they're going to uh, lead us in song. But while they do that, we have the opportunity uh, for you should you choose uh, to come up and receive ashes as well. Now, because it's something that's a little um, foreign, I think, for us, there are a few things I want to clarify and explain about that. Number one, this is, something that's, this is something that's been present in Christian traditions 
uh, across the board for a long time. It's something that's endorsed by Reformed circles and Lutheran circles as, as well as Catholic circles, where we most often see it in this area. But it is, uh, it is kind of a choice you can make. If you come forward to receive them, you know, great, you are welcome. If you choose to stay in your seat, and that's okay. Um, if you choose to wear them for the whole day, you know, that's fine. If, if, you've, if you leave here and you wash them off when you, when you leave, that's okay. It's not a sacrament. It's not, a, it's not anything magical that's going to happen. It's just a physical reminder of the reality of our own limits, the fact that we are dust and that at some point we're going to return to that dust. Let's join together in prayer. Father God, we confess that there are times when, when we feel like we can't come before you with the struggles that we have, when we feel like, like we need to use certain words, like we need to, to jump to easy answers. God, we confess that, that in doing so, we often acknowledge, we often acknowledge that, that we think of you as being too small to handle it. God, we pray that you would help us to be honest with our struggles. Uh, we, pray, we pray that you would walk there with us through our mortality. We are so grateful, so grateful that we have a God who understands both having lost a loved one, lost a son, and also having gone through that himself, knowing that he, he too had a, had a time, knowing that he too had, had Good Friday coming and that his time was was closing God we pray for us as a people that you would help us uh, help us to be prepared help us to be ready help us to be uh, experiencing this Lent uh, so that we can more fully experience Easter Sunday we pray this in your name